Please hold for Armchair Adventurer. That's not the kind of podcast we are. The mailbox is full and cannot accept any messages at this time. Goodbye. Okay, welcome back. We have we are uh, live on the air with another Gregless episode. Um, kind of talk a, about huh? coronavirus death. <laughs> yeah, um, no kidding. The man actually <laughs> died. It's crazy. Back, yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Is there anything? There's something I want to cover at the end of the episode. I don't feel it's good to cover it at the beginning, but. Uh, is there any any pre-show notes we need to go over, Dan or Paul? Just a just a normal episode. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, today we're doing a little bit of a, a change of form, I suppose, because it's not so much a specific thing. It's more of a this is like we're sitting down in school mm-hmm. and learning about something very real. I I don't even know why this came to me, but I, I saw a picture of what we're going to be talking about, and it made me realize that I know absolutely nothing about it, because um, I think specifically we're talking about the Kaaba in um, the mosque at Mecca, but um, how, do, you, do you guys have a similar thing where that black cube, I'd see that all the time and just like, what is that, you know? Well, and, I get very much a... Like 2001 A Space Odyssey. It is, yeah. <laughs> Super you know, monolith, yeah. I know it doesn't have any bearing on the movie or anything like that, but I I wish it would, honestly. <laughs> yeah, so I figured we'd just do a little uh, little episode about... I, I think, uh, Dan, is it fair to say, because the way this is going is Dan is going to do, as his nature, the history side of things. Yep. Um, and I'll be talking about more contemporary... Uh, <laughs> what the what the Kaaba and the Hajj are like in today's world? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Just right, but uh, we're not. We're really specifically talking about that, right? Not like the mosque as a whole. No, I didn't look up anything about the structure surrounding it. Just okay. that it's a mosque. Okay, cool. Well, I'd say let it rip, Dan. All right. Well, I mean, before we. So I'm going to talk about the history of the structure, the Kaaba. But I think before anybody does that, it's a good idea to quickly just go over some like essential Islam facts. Um, just to give people like a general time frame, especially since I'm talking about the history of it, about like when exactly we're talking about. So Islam uh, is widely understood to have begun in the 7th century specifically we're talking like middle 600s early to middle 600s AD Mm -hmm. um, which makes it the youngest of the three Abrahamic religions and I mean we'll probably never do an episode on this but if you don't if you're not aware of like the overlap between those three Abrahamic religions definitely check it out it's kind of Especially if you subscribe to one of them, it's kind of a good perspective check. Uh, makes it makes Jerusalem a very contentious place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. For me, it was like, oh, that's the same thing, you know? Yeah, t- ten or <laughs> yeah. twelve times over. <laughs> a lot of spit, like the really the. I mean, of course, it's not a one to one to one, but it seems like they all kind of share the Old Testament. Oh, yeah, dude. From Abraham to Moses to Noah and Sodom Jesus. And yeah, Sodom. Yeah. There's a story that I'll talk about here that is a little reminiscent from a uh, pretty famous story in the Bible. So when I get mm. there, I'll make sure to mention that. Um, Islam started in a city called Mecca, which is the location of the Kaaba that we're talking about today. Um, And it's a city in modern-day Saudi Arabia. And the last little bit that I thought would be important for our listeners to know is that Islam recognizes Muhammad as the final 
and true prophet of God. So each of the Abrahamic religions recognizes a prophet, someone who speaks the word of God, Christianity, Jesus, Judaism, Abraham. Um, and there's sort of like a line of prophets, but for Muslims, that ended with Muhammad. So that's all I got. Those are like the basic kind of facts that I thought would be helpful. Okay. It's Is it... Um... Is it larger than Christianity at this point in terms of adherence? In terms of people? Yeah. Own? Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. I'll okay. go with that. You go ahead, Dan. I'll check sure. it out. All right. Yeah. Because yeah. I thought, like, the lar- surprisingly, the largest population was someplace like Malaysia or Indonesia. Indonesia and is like, the most, the highest Muslim population. And they've a got a ton mm. of people in Indonesia. So I thought it was. Yeah. I, I would believe it. No Ooh. doubt. Christianity still got him by 500 million. Oh, man. That's kind of nothing, though. Yeah. yeah. One world point, of... Basically two billion Muslims. That's like that's like two or three solid-sized countries just mm-hmm. I was gonna yeah. say. flipping, you know? <laughs> oh, we got to flip those blue countries to, you know. Oh. <laughs> Anyways. All right, so here, let's get into the story, a little bit of the history. So... Um, prior to the spread of Islam throughout the Arabian Peninsula, the Kaaba was actually a holy site for like a bunch of different tribes in the area of Mecca. And basically once every year, these tribes would all sort of make a pilgrimage to Mecca. And it was kind of cool, like surrounding this random monument, um, just in this town in sort of the middle of the desert, these tribes would come together and within like a 20 mile radius of it, all feuding between the tribes would end. Um, Like it was outlawed to fight with somebody from another tribe. And so around this area, this town of Mecca, um, trade was huge you know, between all of these tribes that come together throughout the Arabian Peninsula. So it's kind of like a peaceful place to begin with. Okay, so talking about multiple tribes in the Arabian Peninsula, all making some sort of pilgrimage to Mecca to where this sort of holy and peaceful site is. Now, um, just about as far back as written history allows, we understand that there's some sort of column box-like structure in Mecca. And basically what you have is inside of this a bunch of different symbols uh, from all of these tribes that sort of symbolize some sort of deity, some sort of god or spirit based on each tribe's sort of religious um, beliefs. Yeah. I don't know if that sort of checks out with what's in there nowadays, Kane. No. <clears throat> um, I, without giving away too much, you're probably going to be a little disappointed by what's inside of it. Ah, oh, man. Um, so some early descriptions that we have of what was inside of the Kaaba. We have like paintings, um, decorations all around the walls. So this is a structure that you could just sort of walk into. It was, I think it was like wooden for many, many centuries and just covered in cloth. Um, Specifically, you have a picture of um, this individual known as Miriam, who was the sister of Moses. So just another sort of figure from you know, these Abrahamic religions that are recognized in all three. Oh, and another thing that's in there that I thought was interesting is that there was a pair of ram's horns, which, do you guys know the story of Abraham and his son Ishmael? Um, is or that the one that Isaiah, God, told, God told him to kill? And he was about to do it? Yeah, God... Right story? Yeah, God was like, I'm going to test this random guy um, and tell him in a series of visions to kill his own, I think, firstborn son. Uh, 
which obviously is a big deal in general, but was especially a big deal when like firstborn sons mattered more than they do mm-hmm. nowadays, um, or being the firstborn. And so Abraham was like about to do it, and God was like, no, 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 no. It was just a test. Um, kill that goat over there instead. And so he did. So apparently the horns from the ram were inside the kibbutz. So just like picture just this cloth, wood and cloth box with like a room inside, just filled to the brim with all of these items that carried enormous spiritual significance. Questions thus far? None. Nope. Okay, excellent. So where does the Kabbah fit into this sort of larger story of Islam? Um, Well, to understand that story, you need to know some of the basics of Muhammad and his story. So what do you guys know of Muhammad uh, to begin with? Um, I would say almost nothing. I know you can't depict him in imagery and uh, picking up context clues from something you said earlier, you have to follow up his name with with a phrase. Yeah. But yeah. other than that, yeah. nothing really. Yeah, I'm on the same page. That's about it. Yeah, me too, for the most part. Um, the phrase is peace be unto his name, which, I mean, I'm sure comes from some original Arabic statement Mm -hmm. that is probably loosely translated to that. But yeah, just like whenever you refer to him, it has to be in like a sort of reverence way, the same way, like a lot of like very devout um, Muslims, if they were to name a son Muhammad, they usually add a little mini name, a wan to the end, which means like follower of or slave of Muhammad, just Mm -hmm. as like a sort of deference thing. It's like saying junior. It is like saying. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's like a spiritual junior. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So um, in approximately the year 610 AD, Muhammad was visited by the angel Gabriel, uh, which if you know some Bible stories, is the angel that sort of, acts as like God's messenger. Um, so he's always delivering news. So he, he goes to Muhammad and, and says, hey, start spreading the word of God, which in Islam is known as Allah. Um, and in Judaism is Yahweh, which I think I also would get in trouble for saying if I was Jewish. And so Muhammad throughout his life continues to receive revelations from God, Allah, and uh, continues just to sort of travel around the area preaching God's word. Yes. Okay. What was I talking about? Gabriel? Yeah. No, revelations. So Muhammad continues to receive revelations throughout his life and continues to proclaim the word of God, Allah. Um, now here's sort of the um, mainstream Uh, belief or idea from the Quran. So the Quran contains several verses regarding how the Kaaba came to be. So I know I told you sort of like it was this sort of pagan spiritual site, but like who built it? Who put it there in the first place, right? So the Quran kind of offers two ideas that are sort of speculated upon. One is that it states that the Kaaba was the first house of worship for mankind uh, and that it was built by Abraham and his son, Ishmael, right? After the whole interaction with God asking him to kill his son. Now, one interpretation of this is that it was actually a shrine, sort of like a place of worship for angels before humans were even created. I like that a lot. Pretty dope, right? Yeah, that's cool. And then later, you know, Abraham and Ishmael sort of added on to this thing. Angel worship place. Another interpretation uh, um, regarded 
this sort of first into uh, interpretation is sort of weak and preferred instead the narration that although there were several other temples that were sort of in a similar fashion like some sort of enclosure or box with spiritual items although there were several other temples like this that preceded the Kaaba the Kaaba was known as sort of like the first actual house of God um, because it was dedicated solely to him, built by his instruction and sanctified and blessed by him, right? So like before you have all these sort of polytheistic religions, multiple idols, whereas the Kaaba, they say, was built for one God, which is like a main tenant of Islam, is that there's only one God. Okay, so they have kind of like a kind of like almost like a theme of this like style of worship with these other temples with similar I guess box like shrines yes. so the items in those shrines were just kind of random other polytheistic items kind of random at that that date and time exactly yes so this one was solely for Allah yeah if yes. I can make a point that something I came upon doing my part of the research, but I, I think it fits a little better here. It was an important distinction made talking about why the Kaaba is like the center of worship in Islam. Okay. Um, it was, it, they, it did say house of God. It's like, it's weird and specific because it's essentially where God would dwell if he was on earth, but it is very important that he is not there. It's something to worship that is, it is, it's called God's house only to sanctify how important it is, if that makes sense. Like, it's not actually where God resides, but it would be right if he was here, I guess. If, if there are listeners out there that are, like, Christian, for example, it'd be like whenever you step into a Christian church, there is always um, a frick. <laughs> uh oh. Uh hey, well don't worry. Dan's going to church tomorrow so he can redeem himself. That's tomorrow. right, I'll make sure to ask. The tabernacle, maybe. Um it's like this little box where yes. after you bless after the priest blesses the bread and the wine, the extra goes in there. Um and there's always a candle lit and it's and it's meant to no. sort of signify that like because most sects of Christians believe that the bread and the wine is literally the body and blood. And so that box is a very holy place. Not yeah. that God no, is I'd literally be... inside that box, but it it's like yeah, pretty but close. I, I might be completely off in this one, but I thought that was very much a, a Catholic thing. Yes. The whole communion idea, yeah. but... Um, but yeah, the Catholics are the heaviest hitters of transmogrification. Yeah, <laughs> they got some weird <laughs> rituals. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Any other questions? I'm almost done. I'm about to connect what I'm talking about with what Kane's going to talk about. Uh, oh, questions? No. No, I'm good. Yeah, I'll probably have more later, but I'm staying tuned. Dope. Okay, so that was sort of like the ancient history part of the Kaaba, right? These pagan tribes with these polytheistic religions. Um, Here's sort of how it connects to Muhammad. And then I'm sure there will be a lot of parallels maybe to modern day uh, uh, that Cain will talk about. So during the first sort of half of Muhammad's time as prophet, which... Uh, you you, you got to visualize like this 28, 30-year-old dude, right? While he was at Mecca, um, he and his followers were severely prosecuted. So like there's a ton of parallels with Christianity, right? Like Jesus and early Christian disciples were basically treated as this like little shitty cult. Well, like Muhammad and his followers got the same treatment in and around Mecca. Eventually, they just got out. They just left Mecca. They went to this other town, this other city called Medina, 
in 622 AD. Before that time, before Muhammad, early, early Muslims, not before Muhammad, before like this event that's about to happen, early Muslims considered Jerusalem as the prayer direction location. Whenever you do your five times a day prayer, you know you're supposed to pray in a certain direction. Early, early Muslims prayed towards Jerusalem until what's about to happen in the story. So in 628, Muhammad led a group of Muslims towards Mecca with the intention of performing what's called the Umrah, which is, you guys know what the Hajj is? You yes. mentioned it before, Cain, right? Yeah. You want to give like the 20-second spiel? Yeah, the Hajj, uh, I think it's one of the five main tenets of Islam, and it's uh, at least once in your lifetime, if you are able you're supposed to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. Yes. So the Umrah is sort of like the diet Hajj. So the Hajj includes many other rituals that takes uh, a great amount of time and resources. But if you can't do the full Hajj, but you can still sort of travel to Mecca, you can complete what's called the Umrah, which um, Muslims with sort of a lot more money and resources, will do multiple times in their lifetime. So Muhammad is trying to go to Mecca to perform the Umrah, um, but the tribe that sort of controls the area, the Quraysh, I think, um, they said no. They, like, kicked him out. They wouldn't let him go in. And But eventually Muhammad and this tribe sort of signed, like, a peace treaty that was like, okay, um, you know, even though it's not that one time a year when we all come together, people from other tribes should still be able to come in and, you know, do their thing. Well, lo and behold, two years later, the Quraysh do not uphold this treaty. They kick some more people out. And so Muhammad is like, screw it. Like, you don't, you shouldn't be the ones controlling that land anymore. And so he leads an, an invading army and conquers the place in 630 AD. You guys ever, you guys know, are you familiar with the Bible story where, I don't even know where he is, but Jesus walks into the temple, the Jewish temple, and finds out that like in and amongst these very like religious symbols and statues are just people that set up shop and were selling their goods and stuff. And he flips out and he's like, you know, this is like a religious place and he tears down people's stalls and he like kicks people out of the temple you ever hear about that story no it doesn't sound no. very christ-like though <laughs> yeah well it's the one that they don't want it you want you to know about <laughs> i guess <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah so anyways i just thought when i was reading about this story with muhammad that's about to happen i was like wow that's kind of like the same thing so muhammad conquers mecca and his first action was to remove all of these um, other statues and images and symbols that do not reference Allah from the Kaaba, right? Because he's like, this is, because remember, the mainstream interpretation of the Kaaba is that this is only for one God, right? All this other pagan crap doesn't belong here. So he sort of cleanses the inside of the Kaaba. And, uh, but, but one thing that he does keep in there, which is aligned with like mainstream Muslim belief is there's a allegedly a painting of Mary and Jesus um, and a painting of Abraham. But everything else, peace, gone, taken out, destroyed. Uh, and so then, from then on, Mecca becomes the prayer direction location. So when Muslims pray five times a day, they pray um, generally towards Mecca instead of Jerusalem. Okay. Yeah, and that's it. That's all I got. Okay. Um, so do you know anything about what it looked like roughly around the time of Muhammad? Oh, yeah. It was like, I mean, it was rebuilt um, countless times. Yes. But yeah. during Muhammad's time, I'm pretty sure it was still just like wooden scaffolding with the cloth over it. 
and that was about it. Yeah, so it is, you know, obviously there's a deep and storied history just due to the fact of the age of the uh, how long it's been around. And there's a lot we could go into with, you know, the exact wars between the caliphates that yeah. caused it to be rebuilt. <laughs> but that would be an extremely long conversation. So I'll truncate it a little bit. Uh, mostly throughout history, it's followed kind of the same shape, at least. They think when it was built by Abraham that it was a stone-walled rectangle. It wasn't cubic, and um, there was no roof. It was just four stone walls. And it's kind of followed that same blueprint, but changed a little bit over time. Some of the major times when it was changed, shortly after Muhammad died, uh, there was a lot of people in the Arabic world who still didn't necessarily believe that he was the prophet. And so the ruling caliphate at the time, the Umayyads, uh, sacked Mecca with catapults and trashed the building and also destroyed the black stone. Ah. Um, now, I guess we can just, I can just kind of cover that right now, what the black stone is. Yeah, it I forgot was, to mention it. I meant to. It is a prominent feature on the outside of the building, and it is something that you're supposed to touch if you can when you make the Hajj. But it is one of the holiest, what would you call that, like a, what is the term I'm looking for? A relic. It's the, uh, okay. It's, it's one of the holiest relics in Islam. And according to the Quran, Quran sorry, it was dropped from the heavens, you know, probably a meteorite, but it was dropped from the heavens and it was supposed to be guiding Adam and Eve where to make a shrine. Oh, man. And in the lore, it was actually a glistening white when it fell and has been or turned black over time because it absorbs the sin of all who touch it. Uh, uh, so it is now, oh, wow. after being touched by countless people, pitch black. In 930, a kind of rebellious sect of Shia Islam stole the black stone. Uh, it was, oh, and I should say, sorry, it was fragmented in the in one of the sackings, but it was cemented back together into one, but it was then stolen in 930 and taken to the other side of the Arabian Peninsula, and it didn't return until 952. Oh. When they returned it, they rebuilt the Kaaba, and since then, it's been cube. When they rebuilt it that time, it was a cube, and it that was kind of the original shape during Muhammad's time. It was a lot more cubic than it was rectangular. And it remained pretty much unchanged at that point until 1626 when floods caused three of the four walls to collapse. And the Ottoman Emperor Murad IV rebuilt it out of granite this time. Granite quarried in Mecca and <laughs> renovated the mosque surrounding it. And it has retained, it is the exact same building now basically you know structurally than it was then it's been that granite since 1626 thanks to the ottomans man yeah well also that too i worry about the items and stuff inside yeah um, uh you know the inside has definitely been renovated since mm -hmm. um it's it's pretty it's pretty nice looking inside oh really yeah and before we get into it i do want to say just since you said the ottomans just an interesting point I came across while I was reading. I'll, I'll be honest, I, I really don't know a whole lot about the geopolitical landscape of the Middle East. But part of the reason there is so much infighting is because in Islam, being Muslim is like first and foremost the identity you should have. It takes place over everything. And so a lot of the strife is kind of caused by especially post-World War II. I mean, I know there's been fighting forever, but the kind of arbitrary redrawing of of countries where there needn't be countries, I guess, right? Uh, done by Western powers. And that's why, like, caliphates and... I mean, it was basically one... It was the Ottomans and then, you know, the Byzantines before them. It was, like, one... Oh, ruled by one group, most of 
you know, the Middle East was ruled by one group from, I guess, whenever the Byzantines were until the end of the Ottoman Empire. I mean, I mean, even like, even though it was before Islam and it wasn't exactly like a culturally united empire, but like the Persian Empire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of years. <laughs> so, yeah. So for so long, it was like that. So once that stopped, you know, there was some some friction. But the structure of the Kaaba is a cube of granite. It's 50 feet high. Whoa. Um, that is than you way bigger than I thought. Oh, it's big. Uh, 35 by 40 feet at its base. The corners roughly correspond to the cardinal directions. I think it's not exact, but it's probably pretty good for when it was built. And uh, as Dan already mentioned, that is where you pray towards five times a day. And the dead are buried facing its meridian, which I did not know. As I was talking to these boys about in a small break we took, it's when you look at it, and I'll be honest, I didn't know it was cloth. Mm. I thought it was like just ornate, polished stone that made it black and all that, but it is actually just like a brown, looks like a brown brick building without the <laughs> kiswa on top of it. And that is a silk and gold garment that is um, remade every year. It's got to take they remake a trip it every to the single year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the dry cleaners. <laughs> Local seamstress, yeah. <laughs> They remake it every year, and they redrape it on the day of the Hajj where all of the pilgrims leave for Mount Arafat. And it costs about $4.5 million to make because oh it's my. all silk and gold thread. Yeah, who makes wow. it? Like, it For a long time, it was made in Egypt and then sent on caravans, but it is now just made in Saudi Arabia. Probably because they're a lot wealthier than Egypt now. Yeah, but I'm saying like who gets closer? Does somebody get that contract or something, or are there like some religious figures that sit down and have to do it? I would, yeah, I would guess it's probably like done by the. Well, I guess I don't or know the what the like country. equivalent of the, the Pope or you know the the governing body of Islam. I don't really know how that works, but yeah, I don't think do, there is one. What do you think they do with the old one? They, they make a new up. one every year. They cut it up oh, and really? give it out to people. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, that's kind of cool, though. Like uh, visiting foreign dignitaries or like, you know, just whoever happens to get it. And you can you can buy them. You can buy sections. People will like sell them as little trinkets for marking their pilgrimage. Wow. Oh, OK. This is like going way back because I thought of this and then forgot about it and then remembered. What do you think has more germs on it? The Blackstone <laughs> Or the Blarney Stone. I'm going to say oh. the Black Stone by a million miles. You think so? <clears throat> well, people... the sheer volume of people that are touching. Yeah, but mouth That's germs true. versus hand germs. I was going to say mouth germs, though. That's fair. But it's funny you brought that up because my next little point is kind of about exactly how many people have touched it because the Black Stone is cemented in a frame made of silver on the eastern corner of the altar or okay. the building. And it is the there is only one small section that is kind of exposed, and it is now completely concave and polished perfectly from how many people have touched it. It's <laughs> wow, literally that's changed cool, how though. the stone. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, so, besides all that, all of that is how it's been for a very long time. The only other major change has just been the expansion of the mosque itself to accommodate how many people now come every year. And today Wait, do you have a number of people that go a day? Oh, a day? I don't know. The What the, do you have? Wait, don't tell us. We need to guess. Okay. Oh, for a hot for the Hajj? Yeah. Uh What do you have per year? Well, no, I don't have any. I was going to say how large the mosque was, but I will oh. while I'm asking well, would you say there was two billion uh, Muslims? Yeah, world? basically. Yeah, but not all of them are making the Hajj, so don't go doing correct. division. Okay, I have a number of well, people. Correct, every year. but you know, average lifespan. Try to do it once a once a time. Yeah, because I will say, Dan, it's um, <laughs> you only do the pil- the pilgrimage takes place on a very specific set of four to five days once every year. Oh, it's not just whenever you want. It's the same dates 
Oh boy. Uh, it's kind of like a Lent type scenario, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that changes what, things. So I do have a number of people that hodged, hodged in. <laughs> 2018 though that we can guess the number i was going to say was the great mosque is now 40 acres wow Um, in terms of building footprint i think it is the third largest building in the world in terms of area after the boeing factory and (laughs) one of the tesla factories (laughs) yep those are some big buildings damn capitalism yeah Yeah. damn aircraft yeah yeah you know i i'm sure you guys have heard this story i've been to the the boeing factory in everett Mm -hmm. and they had to invent a new kind of air circulation system because they tried initially like just standard ductwork and and ventilation and it was so ineffective that um cloud systems would start to form inside the factory (laughs) yeah i remember you telling us that oh Uh, my god which is like what (laughs) <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> that's crazy um my guess so it's always always at least one person um going off prices right rules but <laughs> i'm gonna say <laughs> i'm gonna say 2.5 million people chump change man i'm gonna say 12 million people a year yeah like, that's so many people 2.3 Oh, yeah. eat it, Dan. Oh, my God. I'm over. I'm over. I'll give you that, but I was way closer. No, that's you, man. Holy shit. That's awesome. That's a great guess. Also, still a ton of people. Like, how many people is that per day? Oh. Well, and it's like, no kidding. Like, if every single one of those people are touching the black stone, of course it's going to erode. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's so many people. It's 6,300 people per day. Oh, if you stretched it out over the course of a year? Yeah, and then divided by 24 hours, if it was 24-7, 262 now, people per hour, which oh, means that's four people per minute. Crazy. That's like one of those of like the logistics behind the Hodge has to be like crazy just sink to a T. How was, do you fit that many people through just one area at, at a time? I was thinking that like the airports in that area must be insane <laughs> during that time of year. Yeah. So inside the Kaaba, it is beautiful. It's very ornate in there, but there is basically nothing inside of it, which is why I said you'd be disappointed. Oh. Oh, It's got marble floors and marble walls. There's some gold tablets on the walls with inscriptions from the Quran. Um, There are three pillars that hold up the roof. Um, One small nondescript altar. It's basically just like... It almost looks like a a bird bath, basically. Um, there's some... I think this information is seriously from, like, clandestinely taken photos. I don't think... Because it's... The only other thing in there is hanging... They're either lanterns hanging from the uh, ceiling or, like, incense. Uh, mm. Whatever you call those. Burners. Yeah, sure. And the... The, the door to the inside is made of solid gold, uh, previously made of silver, but in the 1980s, they upgraded it to solid gold. <laughs> and the door the door is actually seven feet off the ground. Um, there's just a wooden staircase on wheels that they roll in from the mosque if they need to go in for whatever reason. <gasps> Interesting. Oh, yeah, and you know what? The only other prominent feature of the building is a gold uh, rain gutter. <laughs> probably probably scared that the ceiling was going to collapse again or something there's a baby trapped in the kaba get the staircase <laughs> yeah. now about the kaba itself that's about all i have so before i move on to what the hajj is all about do you guys have any any cues is the top part of it still open or do you think there's like a granite roof there is a ceiling um it just i guess that's how gutters work not- yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. Not just it's guttering pretty... six inches of wall. Got that yeah, tin a, roof on top. It's a pretty plain roof. There's just like, I think there's a gate for, I'm not sure what. It might be like a place where if it weren't 
the Holy of Holies, there'd be a prayer caller or something, but mm. nobody's standing on top of that ish. No, 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 no. They've already got no. enough minarets in the mosque. <laughs> yeah. Don't they have like half a dozen? Gotta be. I actually want to find out. Um, yeah, that might have been a serious low ball, what I just gave. <laughs> so, the Hajj, we already kind of covered uh, what I was going to start with. Pilgrimage, all Muslims are supposed to take, if they can, uh, at least once in their lifetime. Yeah, I it's like how a, it's kind of forgiving. It, yeah, it is. And it's uh, there's actually a couple forgiving aspects to the whole, the rituals. So... A lot of it is like one is one is based on it's forgiving based on how many people are there, and the other is forgiving based on uh, how much money you have. Ah, basically. okay. So there's a few rituals. It's it's between four and six days. If you want to get all of the uh, not necessarily re- required rituals, because I think there's only technically one that you need to do for it to be considered a complete and successful Hajj. Before any of the rituals are performed, Iram is necessary. And Iram is a spiritual state you must undertake before entering the Hajj. And there's actually, it almost looks like a border crossing, uh, just somewhere outside of Mecca a little bit. There's like a, not a gate, but you know what I mean by border crossing. It's like, there's like a sign, a big sign and you know, like archways, and it says you're entering like the pilgrimage zone. Oh. And before you enter this, you need to be in this spiritual state of just being ready, you know? And it requires that males, you have to wear two white seamless cloths, uh, one draped around the waist, reaching below the knee, and the other draped over the left shoulder and tied at the right side. Women, a little less restrictive in it, uh, saying that is a little ironic a little less restrictive but you know any ordinary dress that fulfills the islamic condition of public dress with hands and face uncovered so uh, you know (laughs) it's not unique it's give and take it's also Uh, not yeah forgiveness of that but i i love the um i love the uh garment and like fabric restrictions of the abrahamic religions it's like Absolutely. Yeah. What? <laughs> it seems very like, antiquated, yeah. Like, Can't. what drove that? In, yeah. In a desert, what drove that? It has yeah. to be seamless. Uh, right. Like, you, usually, like, um, you know, like, you can't eat meat on Fridays during Lent. It's like, okay, I get it, right? They were trying to, like, conserve back in the day or whatever. <laughs> but what's up with no seams? Or, like, you can't cross fabrics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> There's probably a few other things in the Abrahamic religions we could be like, you know, scratching our heads at, but that's true. That's certainly one of the more benign ones. <laughs> that's a good point. We should be complaining about some more malicious yeah. ones. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the the few other prohibitions include: cannot clip your nails, cannot shave any part of your body while you're in there, or yeah. Uh, during the Hajj? During the Hajj. Uh, no sexual relations. That one seems easy. That's obvious. <laughs> uh, no perfumes. <laughs> Damaging plants. Can't can't do that. Killing animals. Big asterisk on that. We'll get to that later. Uh, if you're a male, you cannot cover your head uh, or the face and hands for women. Really? Uh, you can't get married. Cannot get married during it. And you cannot carry any weapons. So, the whole can't cover thing is like the opposite of what is asked of like every other time right because don't well, like the comparison like, to sharia the i think i think in sharia law the hair is the thing that women need to cover the burqa the full face covering i think that's state imposed by like saudi arabia Oh, it's okay. not part of the Iran. Burkas are not allowed during the Hajj. If you wear a burqa 362 days out of the year, you got to take it off and go for a just standard face wrap, I guess, or you know, like head yeah. wrap for the Hajj. So, what about guys though? Because I know some Muslims have the head covering. Right. Can't do so that. So you just gotta get rid of it. Yep. Yep. Wow. 
Um, and there is there is a reason like for that. that I, I almost kind of like that though because it like it kind of s- almost like we were talking about before kind of almost standardizes everyone. Yeah, you know, definitely. back to that whole idea that everyone is a Muslim that there's mm. nothing else that really is supposed to define you in that sense. But absolutely, that's a good point. Yeah, wow. Yeah, Shit, Beauti- it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> Deeply insightful, <laughs> man. I'm just a student here, boys. <laughs> um, the student so becomes day- the master. <laughs> day one, very first thing you do, the tawaf, and that is the circumambulation. So you walk around the Kaaba inside the mosque counterclockwise seven times. The first three times, you're supposed to be further away from it, and it's at a pretty quick pace. Not quite a jog, but definitely a speedy walk. And the last four, you're supposed to move in closer, and it's a more leisure pa- leisurely pace. And I'm guessing that's just because, you know, even though it's all on the same day, not everybody's going to be going in at the same time, so it probably gives other people a chance to get in closer if you start outside and move in. So that people aren't just spending all seven rubbing up against the kebab, you know, basically. And, like, I was just thinking logistically, if people on the outside are moving faster, that's probably how you get those sort of time-lapse images that look like people yeah. are just one unit moving like around. record spinning, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but. Ideally, you would touch the black stone uh, once during the circumambulation. But like I said, this is one of the forgiving things. If that's not possible because it's too crowded... You don't have to like start throwing elbows because <laughs> if you are unable to touch it, simply pointing at the black stone every time you walk around suffices. It's how the dab got started. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> next part of day one, you have to drink water from the Zamzam well. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Basically, the Zamzam well is... Hagar uh, was the wife of Abraham, not Sarah. This was a wife gifted to him by an Egyptian king, and she is not mentioned by name in the Quran. Um, she's just referenced and alluded to via the story of Abraham. Uh. So Abraham's off doing his stuff. Hagar and Ishmael are in the desert, and they do not have water. So she has to go find some water and leaves Ishmael alone in the desert and he starts crying. And where he cried is where God, Allah basically created a a wellspring of water. And this is right outside of Mecca. So this is, you have to drink water from this well. And then natural segue, the next thing you have to do is run or walk seven times between the Safa and Marwa hills right near the Kava to emulate her search for water. Oh. And that is the end of day one. That's kind of a workout. Yeah, certainly. It's definitely the the busiest day. How like how far of a runner walk is that? It, I don't think it's far and there's like a tunnel system basically, so you can just blink blink blink. <laughs> okay. Um because, you know, it's not, like, actually how far she went. It's just, like, supposed to represent it. True. Um, day two, and I think this is, technically starts right at, like, midnight of day one. You, all of the pilgrims walk to the tent city of Mina, just outside of Mecca, where, you know, it's just a sprawling array of tents that everybody stays in, and they mm. spend the whole of day two in prayer. Well, day three, they travel to Mount Arafat. And this is the one I think is supposed to be the one that you have to get done for it to be considered complete. Oh. Now, this is, uh, Dan, I don't think you mentioned this, but Arafat is the mountain where Muhammad delivered a sermon, the farewell sermon, I think. And they stand vigil from noon to sunset at Arafat. And then immediately following that, they travel back to Mina. And then on day four, they throw seven pebbles at the Jamrat al-Aqaba, which is a set of three columns. 
and you throw seven pedibles at it. It's called Stoning the Devil, and it's supposed to be an allegory for literally stoning the devil. Ooh. And then everybody, I guess everybody, I don't know exactly how this works, has to sacrifice either a sheep or a goat. What? And then, I mean, maybe it's just like groups of people, and you just have to be there. Um, Because, God... 2.3 2.3 million sheep or goats sacrificed every year. That's a lot, right? Yeah, that's an extinct freaking species of animal. Yeah. And then the meat is either sold to other uh, Arab countries or given to the poor. And I think this is why there's no head coverings. The next thing is after the sacrifice, uh, if you're a man, you have to completely shave your head. Oh. And then and the women clip off some of their hair. And... So that is like days one through four is the necessary stuff, but you can go for as long as six days. And the reason I said it's kind of forgiving if you don't have a lot of money, if you don't have the money to return to Mecca for whatever reason, you just repeat the stoning the devil the next two days because day five is just a repeat of the stoning the devil. I don't think they do the sacrifice again, and they obviously don't shave their head a second time. That would be absurd. (laughs) And then the last thing you do is return to Mecca and perform the tawaf once more, going around seven times. Uh, But that's, I mean, that's it. That's it for the rituals you got to knock out anyway. Any cues? It's it's (laughs) just, no, no, I don't think I have any questions. It's just very... Like, this is the first time I've heard it uh, explained in such detail. and Yeah, I mean, reading it, I knew none of this shit. It was, like, stunning, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, oh, God. It's just impressive. Like, it's massive. Yeah. Yeah. What do they, ex- what do they exactly do for the stoning of the devil again? They throw seven pebbles at one of three columns. There's just these columns in the desert that have been there for a long-ass time. And they just throw them at him and... Yep. Hmm. I suppose another... that's like... Oh, go ahead. I'm getting this, like, theory of threes thing going on. It's a lot of threes and a lot of sevens. A lot of threes, a lot of sevens. Same thing with, I mean, Christianity. I don't know anything about Mm -hmm. Judaism, but... A lot of threes, a lot of sevens, yeah. Yeah. So, another thing that I wanted to offer up here is that as intense and massive this undertaking sounds of like performing the Hajj as an individual. And, and it, it's super important, even though they're kind of forgiving about on it. Cause like you said, it's one of the five pillars, one of the five main tenets of the religion. Like if you look at the other four, I wouldn't even say, I don't even think like the Hajj would, take up near as much time and energy as some of the other ones what are the other four one is to pray five times a day Mm -hmm. so that's that's a big deal another one is that like a certain percentage of your earnings should go to the poor right like a literal percentage of your income should go from to the poor like that's a religious tenet Oh, well, one of them is easy. One of them is like, there is no God but Allah. There's only one. Um, mm-hmm. And Muhammad is his prophet. And then the other one. Fasting during Ramadan. There it is. Ah, yep. Yeah, but like yeah. serious undertakings, right? Like that's that's some serious oh, yeah, physical exertion. And, uh, and of course, you know, again, it's like you don't have to do the Hajj. Yeah. You, you know, if it's like out of your means. I was going to say. You know, if you are one of the poor, you know. I did. I did see another. I guess it's kind of it, slightly related to zakat, which is the paying an alms tax to benefit the poor and the needy. There's like s- specific rules inside of Islam about finance stuff like that. Yeah. And one of them is interest is illegal, and so I think for that reason, like if you are are trying to be a strict adherent to Islam, you can't get a mortgage for your house. Well, I wonder if it's in the theme of like, if you're trying to help someone else, it should not be benefiting you. Yeah, for sure. It should yeah, be I thought it was the other the way. You're trying to help. Mm-hmm. I th- I I wouldn't think. I mean, just based off what you said, my initial reaction was, 
it would be if you were in a position to charge interest, not like have to pay it. But well, I think uh, I, no, no, it is, it is that. But like, I think even entering it is, you know, it's obviously not like you're going to hell if you get a mortgage on your home or whatever the, you know, I don't know if they have hell in Islam. Yeah. But I, I think it's just like it's best to avoid dealing with that kind of stuff if mm. you are trying to be a strict adherent to it. Yeah, because you're kind of promoting that whole yeah. idea. Yeah, sustaining the, the whole system. So, Well, then also yeah. there's like a sort of conflict too because like a major a major sort of understanding or like teaching in Islam is like you follow the law of the land in which you live. Like it mentions mm. that in the Quran, um, I think very right. clearly and or multiple times. Um because, like, I've heard that a lot thing. from my students is that, like, even though there are very strict laws, like, in the Quran, like, they're just as strict is that, like, I need to follow the law of the country or the land that I live in. Yeah. The Bible has a similar thing, doesn't it? Probably. I thought there was something about the law of the land. And what's, well, I guess, you know, it could be, this could be talking about, like, ta- taxes versus tithes, but what is the render unto caesar thing mean i have no idea render unto caesar which is caesar's i thought that was just like a roman emperor saying matthew twenty two twenty one. jesus said render to caesar the things that are caesar's and to god the things that are god's romans 13 1 says let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities ah. so i think those well, two kind of cover that yeah. yeah of course the romans said that yeah <laughs> <laughs> come on yeah matthew just said that so he didn't get stoned yeah <laughs> not the good stone he saw what pontius Pilate did he doesn't <laughs> want to get that treatment he gets kind of uh, a bad rap he does he is actually blameless <laughs> in my opinion i wouldn't say blameless but but i mean he was a public servant you know he was yeah but i i wouldn't say like i don't know i have a lot of complaints about like the education system but i wouldn't say like i'm blameless for just trying to do my job i think i'm part of the problem yeah Yeah. i'm not necessarily blameless but i feel like sometimes you know people will use pontius pilate as like second to judas you know it's like calling pontius pilate is like yeah literally in the creed in the nicene creed you say crucified under pontius pilate yeah the dude gets a tough rap for you know, for him, you know, he was just like basically, you know, he punched in that morning, the time <laughs> clock, and he's like, "Okay, we got this guy." The uh, Roman tablet, yeah. <laughs> this this mob of people's pretty angry about this guy, and it's my job to decide. Yeah, he and he he's was, like, you know, maybe got into an argument with his wife the day before. Maybe he was a little hungover. He's like, "Fuck, I'm just gonna. I just want this to be an easy day. It's Friday." Yeah, you know, <laughs> so, I just want to go home. Jesus Christ. Now, before I get into post show, uh, what um, do you have? A, do, do you guys have any other questions about the Kaaba, Islam, the Hajj, or at this point Christianity? Because we seem to have <laughs> included enough of that that it's part of the discussion. It's just an easy analogy, you know. It's an it's easy thing to compare yeah, it makes to. It's a little easier to understand. I think our audience is, if anything more christian than muslim but yeah, i mean that could that could change i don't have any okay. questions but i would just be remiss i don't know like i i feel like education is power and i would just be remiss if we did not even slightly address some of the shit that islam gets in just like mainstream discussion yeah. So like um, the one thing <laughs> the one thing that I want to clear up is um oh man. And now I lost it just like that. I got something I can say. Yeah, do it please. Please take this away from me. Uh something I think <laughs> gets put on Islam a lot is I just want to say there is no part of the Quran that says you should um, strap a bomb to your chest. Oh, and, yes. Uh, yes. You know, blow up a building. In fact, the Quran right. pretty strictly condemns suicide. Um, yes. of any, And that's, I, 
again, I think I already brought up this hypernormalization documentary on one of the more recent episodes we did. The first half of that documentary basically is about how suicide bombing just became a thing, like very suddenly from, it was like something Bashar al-Assad's dad, when he was running Syria, picked up from like a very small sect of like Sunni Muslims or something uh. and and normalized it in the Middle East. And uh, it, it it even it even got away from him a little bit, you know. Uh, clearly, <laughs> I don't think he thought that yeah. idea would take off quite as much as it did. But generally speaking, I think Islam kind of gets this rap of being an extremely violent uh, religion, and I think you know, obviously, it's a very complex situation. But I think that might be more a result of some of the other political stuff going on in the area, and not necessarily the religion. Yeah, yeah, that was. That was right in line with what I was going to say. The word that I was struggling to remember was jihad, which is also kind of funny that I used the word struggle because like people <laughs> either yes. intentionally warp or just completely misunderstand the meaning of the word jihad. And like, I will not try to like say that this explanation is more accurate than like an actual practicing Muslim, but like, I think the real meaning of the word jihad is way more beautiful than like what it is used more frequently as today, right? Like jihad is used in this connotation of like, like what you said, like attacks and murders and like yeah. co a corruption of the religion and of the Quran. Whereas jihad is really like a struggle to understand one's own faith as it ah. sort of like fits into your life. Like it can be internal or it can be external, right? Like there can be external forces that makes you question your faith or like go against it. But jihad is one's own struggle to sort of realize one's faith. I think, I think that might actually be how Assad justified the mm. suicide bombings. I think oh, he said sure. like, that was yeah. part of the jihad. Like it could be part of the jihad. So it's easy to yeah, corrupt, you, you know. It's yeah, easy to pervert. Say, like you just like again, we talked about before, there's so many Muslims in that sense and they all believe, you know, in in Allah and stuff like that, is you just use faith to kinda manipulate um some people to go with your cause, whether it's just or unjust. Like that's a really dangerous thing to have power in. Yeah. Yeah. It's perverse, you know, it's like, you know, ugh. changing the ideas and stuff behind jihad and whatnot to, you know, manipulate it into something to cultivate like it an into attack. A, yeah. And us versus them. Yeah. Type basically. Thing. Yeah. And, and for a lot of it too, it's not even, it's not attacking Americans. It's attacking, you know, your brothers, your neighbors, really, and that's what kind of really sucks about it, too. Yeah, like, for every for every non-Muslim that is, like, harmed or victimized by extremist Muslims, like, there are 50 Muslims who are harmed 10 times more because it is their oh, yeah. identity, their religion oh, yeah. that is being lambasted by these crazy people. It's like, it's like mm -hmm. what the, I mean, I'll do what, like, the West Wing did Right. It's like it's like the what the KKK does to Christianity. You know, it's like, no, mm -hmm. those people suck, dude. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I just wanted to squeeze that in. No, nah, it's an important it's an important thing to say, because I, I think, uh, you know, I, I will admit even I, you know, for a lot of my life, I was definitely uh, indoctrinated by that, you know. Yeah. Just unaware. What are those what are those guys up to? You yeah. Know? But it's because I didn't know a fucking thing about it. Yeah, but exactly, because that's all you see. Yeah, you know, it's all the news wants to show you. Absolutely. Okay. Well, geez, sorry. <laughs> if, I, <laughs> if I may, uh, uh, <clears throat> on a much lighter note, um, <laughs> there's something we've been cooking up. We we touched it. We put it on the back burner, and I think it's time we uh, bring this baby forward. Now that I have webcam capabilities, um, in the near future. We're going to experiment with a little something. Uh, I have created a twitch.tv account for the podcast, and uh, I don't know how how occasionally or when this is going to start, but uh, if you are interested in joining, we will be playing as a group the game GeoGuessr. We have kind of a, 
system of rules uh, that we're going to cook up since there's three of us. Hell yeah. But um, Oh, is this news to Paul? No, I, I left midway through the uh, last time. So if you're not familiar with GeoGuessr, it is a, uh, it is a game, it is a web-based game that utilizes Google Street View. It drops you in somewhere, and you know you you kind of you can pick kind of the criteria of where you might be. I think we're going to go pretty broad with it. We're going to go the whole world immediately to um, expert level. Yeah, um, <laughs> but you basically have to figure out from context clues in the Google Street View it drops you in where in the world you are, and of course, the closer you are, the better the points. But um, that's just something I wanted to mention also because putting it in an episode is probably going to light the fire under my ass a little bit to get that ball rolling <laughs> there um, you go otherwise follow so, the instagram absolutely i live on the west side she lives on the east side of the street and though they say that east is east and west Never the twain shall meet Each morning I